0: All right, let's take your Bibles this afternoon and turn to Genesis 43, Genesis chapter 43. This afternoon we're going to continue in Genesis Genesis here and see Judah grows up, Judah grows up. For a number of weeks, we've been looking at uh, Joseph and his family. And if you remember the story, you know that Joseph, Joseph's brothers sold him into Egyptian slavery. They told their father that he was dead. As far as they were concerned, Joseph was dead. Uh, they went on with their lives as though they had, would never see their brother again because they never expected to. And yet God had other plans. And while they were living their lives in Cana, God was working in Egypt. While Jacob's heart has broken through mourning for Joseph, God is working in Egypt. Down in Egypt, Joseph again was sold as a slave. He works for a man by the name of Potiphar. Uh, he's Pharaoh's chief executioner. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and he rebuffs her advances. She lies to her husband, telling that Joseph had tried to rape her. Uh, Potiphar was uh, had Joseph thrown into prison. After a number of years, he's it's brought to his uh, Pharaoh's attention, and God uses Joseph to help Pharaoh. And make a long story short, Joseph is taken out of prison, made the prime minister of Egypt. And then, as you remember, the famine arose in the land, and Joseph developed a plan to store up grain for the lean years ahead. When J- a famine comes, it affects all the countries uh, of the earth at that time, and even the land of Canaan where his J- uh, brothers uh, and father uh, lived. And Joseph's brothers make a trip to Egypt, uh, uh, but uh, they were going to buy grain to eat. And they meet uh, their brother that they had sold into slavery 20 years earlier. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. God uses Joseph to awaken the dead consciences of his brother. We talked about that last Sunday evening as we uh, talked about uh, uh, the conscience. And Joseph wants them to think that uh, about what they've really done. And he begins to accuse them of being spies. He throws Simeon into prison until the other brothers return home and get their youngest brother, Benjamin. And they told Joseph about him, and Joseph uses that as a tool to get them to return with his brother. And so they return home with their grain, but without Simeon. Jacob again grieves and refuses to allow the boys to take Benjamin. After a while, the grain runs out, and they are forced to go back and try to get more. And so that's where we begin today in chapter 43. In this passage... Here we see a discussion between Judah, the fourth oldest of Jacob's sons, and Jacob himself. And in this conversation, Judah is trying to convince his father that they have no choice but to return to Egypt with Benjamin and to get the grain. Otherwise, they'll all starve to death. So that's the gist of what is taking place here. But as is so often true in the Bible, there's more than meets the eye. And so what we see in these verses is a rebellious man demonstrating the fact that he is beginning to grow up. And what we see in these verses is how God uses the events of Judah's life to bring him to that maturity. God uses these events to shape Judah into the leader that he would one day become. And I believe there's help for us in these verses. It's not just a story about Joseph and his brothers, and it's a a nice Bible story to read or to tell our children. But I believe there are some lessons here that we can learn and some help for us if we are diligent in our study of God's Word. God is trying to do the same thing with your life and mine. He's trying to bring us to... Maturity. He's trying to help us to grow up. He desires for us to to grow in our Christian lives, not just to uh, to uh, be saved and then forget about it, but just to uh, be saved and then grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clearly stated for us in the New Testament in Ephesians four, verse thirteen through fifteen. We read there till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that is a complete, a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And of course, First Peter chapter two, and verse two says, "As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby." Second Peter three eighteen says, "But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen." You know, it's wonderful to see our children and our grandchildren grow. You know, we don't want them, they're cute when they're little babies, but we really don't want them to stay that way. Although uh, they're cute and we like to uh, hold them and we like to play with them and do things, but we don't want them to really stay there. Our little grandson, foster grandson, who uh, is just a few months old, uh, we got to Skype with him uh, uh, recently, and my daughter put him on his back and, boop, He rolled right over He said, I don't want to be on my back. I want to be up. And he's holding up his head and he's looking. He's watching. You know, that's growth. You can see him growing. Uh, He's uh, he's getting bigger. uh, And he's uh, maturing. And so it is in the Christian life. We want to see some growth. We don't want to stay children forever. So I want to see this passage here, how the Lord worked in Judah's life to bring him to the place of maturity. We need these truths because God is doing the same thing in your life, and my life. He might use a different process to achieve his goals, but the end result will be the same. So notice, first of all, Judah's problems. Judah's problems. Now, uh, Judah is mentioned here in verse 3 of chapter 43. It says, And Judah spake unto him, saying, the, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my faith except your brother be with you. We just see his name mentioned there, Judah, and let's just take a minute to remember what kind of man we're dealing with here. If you go back to chapter thirty-seven and twenty-six, you'll find there that Judah is the one who talked his brothers out of killing Joseph and into selling him as a slave instead. Maybe that was a uh, a, an act of uh, somewhat more mature than being, uh, you know, just killing him. Uh, saying, you know, well, we can make some money, but still very immature uh, and not very wise uh, way of of dealing with the situation. And also in chapter 37, Judah was a part of the lie that broke Jacob's heart. They told him uh, Joseph was dead, and Jacob entered into an extended time of mourning. Uh, In chapter 38, we find there that Judah uh, sought a wife, and he married an unbeliever. He married an unbeliever. And then in chapter 38, also, we find that he raised two sons, Ur and Onan. And uh, they were so evil that God killed both of them. These were Judah's sons. He didn't do a very good job in raising his boys. And then in chapter 38, Judah was a man controlled by fleshly lust. His wife died, and he sought female companionship in the bed of a woman he thought to be a harlot. And then we also find he was guilty of committing incest with his daughter-in-law. She had tricked him, but he was still responsible for his actions. And then later in chapter 38, we find Judah was judgmental. Tamar, his daughter-in-law, became pregnant through their incestuous relationship, and Judah ordered her to be burned for her infidelity. And as it turned out, she exposed him for the hypocrite that he was, And their relationship produced twin boys, one of whom became a distant ancestor of the Lord Jesus. And so we look look at a man like that, we see all the things that's happening in his life, and we say, well, he'll never amount to anything. God can't use a man that wicked. The fact is, God had some big plans for Judah. God was working in his life and on his heart to transform him into a leader among his brethren. And God was working on, on him to make him a blessing to the nation of Israel and to the whole world, as we will see when we get to chapter 49. And so Judah was rough as timber. Uh, he, uh, uh, he, but yet God had a plan to work him into shape. And of course, when you take the time to read your Bible, you quickly see many that God used in great ways, starting their lives on the wrong side of righteousness. God will use many. He used Rahab. She was a prostitute. She came to know God, and she became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was Ruth. She was a Gentile. She was a pagan. She came to know God, and she became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus. There was David. He committed adultery. He lied, and he was guilty of murder. But God forgave him. God used him. There was Matthew. He was a tax collector. Uh, He was in the employ of the Roman government. He was a thief. He was a liar. He was a cheat. But God saved him. Used him for his glory. This is a Gadarene demoniac. Uh, He was demon-possessed. He lived in the tombs. He had an entire region scared half to death. He met Jesus and became a powerful witness to God's grace and life-changing power. There was Paul. By his own testimony, he was guilty of terrible, gross sins. And many more could be named from the Bible. But how many could be named right here in this room? How many of you were a mess before God got a hold of your heart? Not a single one of God's servants was perfect when He found them. They were all dirty, Filth, uh, filthy and full of sin, but He knows how to clean us up, doesn't He? He knows how to use peoples as vessels of honor. There are people, as I said right now in this room, and you may be ashamed of your past. Uh, you have uh, your right to feel that way, but never think for an instant that God can't bless you and use you. If you haven't been saved, or if you've been saved, and you've washed, been washed in the blood of the Lamb, His precious blood has negated your past. Every stain has been washed away, and you are uh, white uh, and clean in His, His sight. Now I praise the Lord that He is the Lamb of God, that which taketh away the sin of the world. And I don't care how clean you live or how close you get to the Lord, there will always be someone out there who will hold what you are against you. But we need to just ignore them. And when this thing is said and done, you don't have to answer to them. Both you and them will stand before God and give an account for their lives and your life. Live to please the Lord and let Him take care of the rest. So we see Judah's got problems. He's a man who uh, doesn't look like he'd be worth anything. But notice, secondly, Judah's plea... You look in verses 3 through 6 there, it says, And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me? as to the man, whether he, uh, ye had yet a brother. We find in these verses that Judah states a very simple, unvarnished truth. They cannot return to Egypt to buy more grain unless they take Benjamin with them. And so he begs his father to allow them to return to Egypt and take Benjamin and buy more food. And in fact, in these verses it's very clear that Judah is making some spiritual progress here. Let me show you why I think that. You find here that he no longer simply is concerned about Judah. His primary focus in is no longer what he wants or how he feels but what and what he thinks. You find here Judah is concerned about the rest of the family. He knows they have to have food and they will all starve. He's concerned about the future of the family. He's concerned about Simeon. Judah knows they cannot find Simeon or bring him home without going back to Egypt with Benjamin. And so Judah is concerned with doing things the right way. Now this had never been a priority with him before. Up until now, Judah has cared only about Judah. He would do whatever it took to get what Judah wanted. Now he wants to do things the right way. He's finally beginning to grow up. And yet this progress hasn't happened overnight. It's taken many years, many trials to bring him to this point. And by the same token, the Lord's work in your life and mine has not been accomplished overnight, has it? If you are growing as you should, you are closer today to him than you were when you got saved, I trust. In fact, I hope that you're closer to God today, January the 5th, 2014, than you were January the 5th, 2013. If you're growing, you are. God has been in the process of developing you since you were saved, and He's developing you by His grace as He saved you by His grace. And His work in us is not something that just happens overnight. God has plenty of time He's willing to do whatever it takes, as long as it takes, to accomplish His eternal purposes. You know, you find a quick study of of the uh, uh, Scripture again. This proves to be true. We look at Abraham. First, God worked in his heart to cause him to leave the only home he had ever uh, known to follow God into Canaan. His faith was so shallow that he runs to Egypt for help during a time of famine. Yet God helps Uh, or keeps working on Abraham until the day he comes to be willing to even offer his own son as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's progress. You look at Jacob. He was a trickster, a deceiver. He's a man who lives uh, down to his name. God works on him through a series of difficult circumstances to shape him into the father of the tribe of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, and God uses problems in that family to shape Jacob. God allows Jacob to be tricked, to be deceived by his own uncle. God used hardships and even a personal encounter with himself beside a river to bring Jacob to the place where God could use him. That is progress. You find Gideon, a man who was terrified, uh, and God uh, took him and called him to be a judge of Israel. God gave him a mighty army, and then God took his army away sent him into battle with 300 against a multitude, and even sent him into battle without weapons. All he and his men had were clay lamps and trumpets. God gave them the victory. That's progress. You find David used uh, everything from giants to kings uh, uh, to pride to break and reshape this young man. God used these things to uh, break him to become the man after God's own heart. That's progress. And then there's Simon Peter, a man who was constantly getting into trouble. He talked too much. He was always putting his foot into his mouth. He even denied the Lord Jesus three times one night. And God took those tragedies and used them to shape Peter into a mighty preacher of the gospel. He could never become the man he did without the problems he endured. That's Progress. Look at your own life. What has the Lord used to shape you to where you are today? Well, He's probably used your sins, your trials, your valleys, your victories, and everything else we have faced in this life. He's used it all to shape us into what He wants us to be. That's God's shaping ministry. It's a powerful thing. It's something that every Christian goes through It's something the Lord brings us, uh, uses to bring even sinners unto Him. God's desire is to take us uh, like He finds us and develop us into a vessel of honor for His glory. We're merely clay in His hands. Like a potter, He will keep the pressure on us as He shapes us into what He wants us to be. There are times when He will crush us and begin again. There are times when He'll pound us just like a potter pounds of clay. There are times when he'll add to us, and there will be times when he takes away from us. In the end, we'll become a vessel of honor unto the Lord our God. And we remember, we're never closer to the potter than when his hand is upon our lives. And then we come to Judah's pledge. In verse 7, here we, we read, And they said, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of his words. Of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. As this passage closes, Judah begs his father to let him go to Egypt for food. He promises to trade his life for Benjamin's. And earlier, Reuben had pledged the lives of his two sons. Of course, Reuben knew that Jacob would never harm his grandsons. But in this case, Judah is willing to lay down his own life for the good of his family. And that's a good sign that Judah is maturing. He's no longer that self-centered man that he used to be. He's no longer the man who lives only for himself. He's emerging as a leader among his brethren. Soon Judah will... Bow before and offer himself as a slave in the next chapter. And soon Judah will openly confess his sins before Joseph and make things right with him. Some this formerly self-centered man will humble, soon this self-centered man will humble himself before Ju- Joseph. He'll speak of the whole group for the whole group and he'll take the blame for their actions. Do you want to know whether or not you're making progress as a Christian? Do you want to know whether or not you're maturing in your faith? It's really easy to tell. Just look at the place others hold you in in your list of priorities. When we reach a place of spiritual maturity, we'll find that we will consistently place others ahead of ourselves. A sure sign that you're still a baby in Christ is when you want to be number one? You know, that's the way babies are, aren't they? They think they're the only thing in the world. When they're hungry, they cry. When they're got stinky pants, they cry. It's all about them. See, they're babies. That's the way some immature Christians act as well. But you can tell when you start to grow is when you put others ahead. Of yourself. Notice here what the Bible says about this. It says in Philippians 2.4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Romans 12.15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. 1 Corinthians 10.24, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. I think one of the greatest examples of this selfless kind of life is the testimony of John the Baptist. He was willing to play second, second fiddle as long as Jesus was glorified. And that's the attitude the Lord wants to reproduce in your heart and mine. We're living in a world that focuses attention on self. People are taught to gratify self. and Then they'll be happy. And yet God's formula for joy is vastly different. God's formula comes down to that simple acrostic on the word joy. We've all seen that before. True joy will be ours when we set our priorities in the following order. Jesus, others, and you. Remember that little song that we sang in Sunday school? Jesus, others, and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus, others, and you in the life of each girl and boy. J is for Jesus, for He has first place. O is for others, we meet face to face. And Y is for you in whatever you do. Put yourself last and spell joy. You see, that's the secret to joy in this life. When we arrive at the place of true joy, you will always find that you've reached the place of genuine maturity. You know, so often... The lives of Christians are wasted with frivolous things of this life when they could be serving the King. Someone has written and said it like this Once it was a blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was a feeling, now it is His word. Once His gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now Himself alone. Once twas painful trying now tis perfect trust. Once a half salvation, now the uttermost. Once t'was ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once t'was constant drifting, now my anchors cast. Once twice, uh, t'was busy planning, now tis trustful prayer. Once t'was anxious caring, now he has the care. Once t'was what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once t'was... Constant asking, now tis ceaseless praise. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. Once I hoped for Jesus, now I know he's mine. Once my lamps were dying, now they're brightly shine. Once for death I waited, now his coming hail. And my hopes are anchored safe within the veil. This is the place where we all need to come. Years ago, some tourists visited a picturesque mountain village. And they asked some of the locals there, were any great people born in this village? One of the locals says, nope, just babies were born in this village. The same is true in the family of God. We were all born as little spiritual babies. But what a shame it is if we stay a baby. The Lord wants us to grow up to live lives of spiritual power and honor His glory. Judah grew up. up. Are you growing? Let's pray. Father in heaven,